Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Whit. I'm a professor of strategy here at the U.S. Army War College and the War Room podcast editor. Thanks for joining us today. So if you've been paying any attention at all to the rhetoric of the U.S. military lately, you've probably heard the word lethality uh, maybe more times than you can count. And this is becoming a core idea within the Department of Defense. Uh, It sort of is permeating our language and our discussions. And certainly kicking down doors and killing bad guys, uh, as it's sometimes put, is a key function of militaries. Uh, But the concept of lethality and its utility as an organizing principle also has some critics. And so I'm here today with Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Dieterich, who is a graduate of the Army War College class of 2019. He is a field artillery officer in the Colorado National Guard, currently assigned to Northern Command. And we're going to talk about this concept, how it gets used, and some of the sort of critiques, and maybe some of the benefits of it as well. So welcome to War Room, Andrew. Well, thank you, Jenki. Thank you for having me. All right, so we'll just start off with a definitional question, and that that seems like how I'm starting more and more podcasts these days. But tell us more about the idea of lethality and how the Department of Defense has sort of been talking about it. Where does it come from, uh, and, and how does it help or hurt our national security. So the concept of lethality for the Department of Defense, as you talked about, is not new. If there's one thing that we want the Department of Defense to do, lethality should be on that list. We're the folks who fight and win the nation's wars. With lethality as a core concept, however, it's starting to overtake the other things that the military is responsible for, that the Department of Defense is responsible for. So when you make lethality the, the core concept of what the military does, what you're doing is you're pushing aside those, those other factors. So there are some core documents that we can take a look at as how the Department of Defense defines its strategy, defines what we do. One of those key documents is the National Defense Strategy. The National Defense Strategy is signed by the Secretary of Defense, and it assigns what the whole Department of Defense is supposed to do, not just the the pure military service arms. One of the things that really permeates that whole document is lethality, and lethality overall other possible things. There are some elements in there when we talk about aligning ourselves with other U.S. government organizations such as the Department of State, but it really backtracks to lethality every time. And when we talk about lethality, do we really just mean the ability of the U.S. military to use force to inflict death and destruction on an adversary? Yes, yes. So it's it's that 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 goal there. So even more than deterrence. So that's there's a a trade-off between deterrence and lethality. So if you think about it from a naval perspective, submarines are quite lethal. You can have an attack submarine and it can destroy other naval vessels without even being seen. But as we learned from Dr. Strangelove, you have to know about the lethal thing to have it deter you. 
that's you, you have to, so you can see an aircraft carrier. And so that's why we do port calls. That's why we do freedom of navigation um, on the open seas. So those military objects are seen, our presence is seen, separate from pure lethality. So this is like the idea that they could kill you if they wanted to. And yes. that needs to be well communicated and well known, but not everything that they do, FONOPs, so freedom of navigation exercises, port calls, um, patrolling, all sorts of things are not themselves intended to be lethal, right? We don't, in fact, just go around killing and destroying things on a moment's notice all the time and in all places. No, no, no. That would reflect poorly on our annual reports. Right. It would, would not maybe achieve the effects. And so you're really talking about the effects that you want that you want to achieve. So certainly there's a balance, it sounds like, between needing to maintain lethal capabilities and the training that's required to do that, the command and control that you need to execute a lethal mission when that's required. And at the same time, understanding that there are a whole lot of other things that militaries do in the in the in, in international sort of environment. Yes, absolutely. One of the things we, we like to do as the Department of Defense is we want to have whole of government operations. So we don't work only by ourselves. That's only by ourselves isn't how the United States is. That doesn't support U.S. national interests. That doesn't promote peace across the world. It's not necessarily an enhancer for the liberal international world order, which is all of those different organizations such as the UN and NATO and trade agreements that we have to increase commerce, to increase freedom across across the planet. Just the military isn't sufficient to back mm-hmm. those U.S. national interests. And so when we look at these documents and you talked a little bit about the the national defense strategy but but lethality is sort of permeating some others and we can talk about those as well do we start to see this emphasis on whole of government and sort of military operations across a spectrum of conflict do those fade into the background while we're focusing on lethality so one one of the dangers about focusing so much on lethality is we really like to talk about lethality in the military. I'm a field artillery officer. One of the, the, the pieces that we're trying to get to build to modernize the force is long-range fires. So we're talking about building a thousand-mile cannon. I love That's- it. I I want How to. Cool is that, I want right? to. So my whole career as an artilleryman, we have been outranged by everyone else's artillery. And we're going to have something when those those acquisitions come through that will be better than that. Well, that's great. And and we we really need that as the US military. But when you just focus on that, what you're doing at the strategic level is you're pulling back the officers who are supposed to be giving military options to Congress, to the president about how we can assist US national interests into the things that we really liked doing as lieutenants and captains. So I can move tanks around the battlefield, I can shoot artillery, we can uh, assault the objective with my infantry platoon, but there's more to the strategic level than just M4s and tanks, just rifles and tanks. So what are some of the other considerations at the strategic level then that a focus on lethality might um, obscure or might hide? 
So one of the things that it does is it puts us on a uh, permanent posture to be ready for attack at any time. And sometimes you just need to slow your roll a little bit. So that's you, you just need to, to wait and see how something plays out. Now you do need to be ready. Uh, one of the, the phrases used is the boxer's stance. So you have to be ready to take a hit or give a hit. That's true. Uh, when you're more focused on lethality, you're less likely to look at ways that the military can act to support things that will maybe avoid war in the first place. Mm -hmm. Some other things that we do as the military is we actually go and we help build hospitals uh, around around the world. So that's we send um, medical personnel to give injections um, to, to vaccinate children. That's um, those are things that we can do to help stabilize a reason, a region where we might not need to go to war later because it's stable. We're trusted by the people. We're trusted by by their governments and the region. So isn't wouldn't the argument in response be that, yes, the military can do all of that. It should do all of that. It must be able to operate in that space. But because the military is the only place that we can expect sort of the lethality competency to reside, that the military has to be ready and agile and able to respond to that at a moment's notice. And so that everything that's not lethal is maybe a lesser included competency uh, that we can just expect military professionals and military leaders to understand that they have to sort of keep up to speed. Well, so that that is the tension, because just as you described, it's only the military that is going to plan how we conduct combat operations. The The other part of the military is it also tends to be relatively self-sustaining. So we can use it in areas to help do stability operations. That's army divisions are just moving cities. That's we bring our own water and electricity and medical supplies and food. Those are things we can do do in a region. The other danger about just talking about lethality is it doesn't talk about what happens when the war is over. So you're getting ready for a conflict. You have a conflict. The conflict, at least the shooting part, ends. And what do you do next? Mm -hmm. if, if at the strategic level we're only planning about the lethality part, well, w what happens next? We've toppled a government. If we if we did it well, that's and it was a really big big battle. Probably the other gov old government's not there. World War II, we we've seen this. So what do we do next? Well, to prepare for World War II, we planned for years and how to conduct military governance and an occupation. What was good and what was bad about how the pre uh, the country was run? What do we need to do to fix it? What are our national interests? And we need to be able to not just win the war, but win the peace afterwards. So this gets to, I think, another, maybe a cultural question within the military about what militaries like to do and what militaries um, must do. And so, like you said, if, if we like to drive tanks and send infantry platoons or larger, maybe one day larger formations um, at, at an objective, if we think that the lethality and destruction is important, what happens next, the occupation, the nation building, all of the things that we swear over and over and over we will never do again, sort of start to start to come into play. Do you think that there is 
so there's if there's a tension there, is there also a tension in the kind of training equipment, um, budget, resources, human power that's required to do those different kinds of missions? Yes. So the, the resourcing is important. And the, most of what we do, most of what we will, will have in the military is focused on lethal operations and support of those. However, comma, we also need to have in our doctrine and say that it's important. We need to tell ourselves that it's important to be able to conduct those stability operations, those peace operations. And the people that we need to convince for this are actually the combat arms officers. So it's the infantrymen, the sorry, the, the infantry officers, it's the, the armor officers, it's the field artillery officers that, that need to understand this because they're going to be the ones in charge. So your standard two-star general division commander, your three-star general corps commander has going to come out of the infantry. They're going to come out of armor, occasionally field artillery. And so they're the ones who have to tell their staffs to plan for the peace. They're the ones who have to plan for these non-lethal operations. So when we think about, again, when we think about the capacity and the capabilities that are required, can the same group of people be trained and ready and equipped to, to fight and, and win the nation's wars and then to do the stability and peacekeeping, nation building, governance, occupation, whatever you want to call it afterwards? Yes. So that's, there's a, will be a slightly different mix. That's You'll bring more civil affairs units in um, for after conflict or even while you're trying to avoid conflict in the first part. We don't have to just take a pure division and only use that. We have the capacity to bring in some of, some of these other, other units for it. When you look at World War II, it was the, the combat units, as they rolled across Europe, they were also conducting governance operations to make things better as we went. Well, we fought the Korean War. That's we, we had the combat units also rebuilding part of Korea as we were fighting that war. So we're not just going to stop the war fighting and then turn it over to a completely different organization. The piece that is normally talked about for that is the State Department. So, and this is what we kind of expected to see after Operation Iraqi Freedom. Saddam Hussein is bad. We overthrow the government in Iraq. And the military was ready to just turn the keys over to the State Department and have them work it. And we do talk about in these national documents about how we're going to support the State Department in other areas like governance. The problem is they're not they don't have the capacity to do all of it. They rely heavily on the United States military to conduct those operations. Mm-hmm. And we have to put that into the plan years before we, we actually execute these. And in World War II, we actually made deliberate decisions to have the military run the governance operations, right. not the State Department. Yeah, so I think what I'm, what I'm hearing is this idea that it, it can't be an either-or proposition. You don't sort of bifurcate the military. You don't hand it over to the State Department. There's not a, a black-and-white line that you really do need um, people and leaders, general officers who are capable and competent in, in both the lethal mission of the military but also in this post-war 
mission in operations other than war. That's a that's a very old, um, <laughs> an old term, <laughs> I guess. Now, uh, if we think about let's do a, if we think about sort of past and and future, uh, and the recent past rather than than World War II, um, and we try to define the challenges of the last seventeen years or so, or maybe eighteen or nineteen or twenty years. Is lethality, is the problem that we weren't lethal enough? The problem is not that we were not lethal enough. So when so we get into this place where we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan for, for those 17, 18 years, we went through our whole counterinsurgency phase and so our coin doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I doubt you'll find many people argue that the problem was that we just didn't kill the insurgents fast enough. I think I think we all know that there were there's more to it than that, mm-hmm. and so then we we should take that that lesson. Maybe it was more than just lethality. Um, now I I think that when we get into discussions about counterinsurgency warfare, we're really sort of we've gone too far down our assumptions. So we we assume that we started in a good place when we needed coin but we just and then something went and and then something went wrong but it was really before that because because we were so focused on the fight for for iraq and afghanistan that we weren't looking forward enough to what happens when you win so that maybe if an occupation plan had had been in place if the if the transition from the fighting to something else had been better maybe you don't find yourself in a coin fight in the first place these are, right these are great what if stories that that we can tell and, one day and that's one of the the things about focusing just on lethality I, i'm an artillery officer so so this is the thing that i do that's is those lethal operations but you need to focus on more than just that because otherwise you wind up in the place that we're in when you look forward and say, okay, so maybe we, we do get into conflict in any of the places that you currently see in the news, well, we can win any one of those. But then what happens next? That's the, or mm-hmm. what can we do to not get in that fight in the first place? And the military has a role in both of those, both of those equations, right? Deterring the fight, preventing it in the first place, and then if there's a if there's a conflict if there's a war fighting it doing it well doing it competently killing the the or destroying what needs to, what needs to be killed or destroyed and then also in the in the aftermath and i think that's a that's a complicated um, sort of question so if lethality we're not trying to scrap the idea of lethality we're not trying to create a, a sort of touchy feely military that never that never kills anything or doesn't kick down doors or whatever whatever violent metaphor you want to use um but we are maybe saying that lethality has to be part of a broader set of competencies for the military uh if you were going to add a couple of words um and you were say all right fine lethality is important but we also need to add these other two as sort of or one or two or three i don't really care how many um as watchwords, what might you suggest needs to be part of our planning? So taking a page out of the joint concept for integrated campaigning, which is, it's a 
op, it's a document written out of the, the joint staff, so the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, where we're talking about integrated campaigning there. It's about integrating the military pieces, and then we align with the civilian portions that are going alongside. What I would argue is that for the U.S. government pieces, we need to integrate with that as well. So by aligning versus integrating, we're creating an us-and-they situation even within the United States government. So what we need to do is embrace those either, um, so integration with our own U.S. government or even uh, taking, again, in the instruments of national power, so the diplomatic and informational and economic, and how we can pull that into our plans, which right. is far more than two words, which is no, what but, we No, but so we'll go with integrate as, yeah. as one of them. So <laughs> the military must be lethal. It must be sort of integrated into whole of government or alliances and coalitions. Um, any other any other sort of watchwords that we might add to, to round out our competencies? I, I think the next the short phrase that we would need to do is, what happens next? Okay, we'll allow a phrase. Yay! So lethality, integration, and, and what's next. Um, as a as a way to maybe understand the full range of what militaries must do and have to be prepared and trained um, to do. So, Andrew, thanks so much for coming to War Room today. It's been a great conversation, and we will look forward to hearing more from you. Well, thank you very much, Jackie. It was great to be here. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.